Welcome to the Backyard Buddhist Podcast, where we continually seek everyday enlightenment for the benefit of ourselves and all other beings. I'm Ron Powell McLean, and I'm here in the studio alone today. Danny has the day off. So today I wanted to talk about what this practice and endeavor is all about. So for me, this practice and I mean this practice by a Buddhist practice, was an accidental discovery. I wasn't really seeking a Buddhist path. I grew up Catholic. If you've listened to any of our um, earlier podcasts, I've talked a little bit about my, my childhood, and I grew up a good Catholic kid and certainly endeavored to embrace and understand that religion that was gifted to me from my, my parents and my father's parents. My mom was a Baptist growing up and I don't think she actually went to church much. But my father, however, went to mass, Catholic mass, and back when it was Latin mass, I remember visiting my grandparents in Erie, Pennsylvania, and going to Latin mass and being very confused (laughs) because there wasn't anything I understood, but I was very young, and it was... um, kind of a brief memory, but I, growing up a a gay kid and not knowing what to do with that, not having any examples of what to do with that other than, you know, the potential of maybe even becoming a priest, (laughs) that was certainly a suggestion to, um, to kids that were similar to me was, you know, maybe if you didn't have attraction to girls, you should maybe have an attraction to the priesthood. Which, you know, therein therein lies maybe some inherent issues <laughs> with with that. And I I did consider it, which I think is um interesting now, you know, being in the position that I am and um you know, leading a a group of seekers um, that maybe it's come a little bit full circle. But I digress. I certainly started meditation much, much earlier than my uh, Buddhist path. My Buddhist path is relatively young, I would say. You know, within the last... um, 10 or 12 years has really been the focus of my Buddhist study and practice. But before that was a fairly strong meditation practice. I, I started out, I was having a, an issue when I was about 12 years old, 12 or 13, um, I was in junior high and I was, experiencing some 
pretty terrible headaches, which were not uncommon in my life. Um, I started having migraines. My mom tells me that I started having these insane headaches at about two years old. And I just remember them being horrible and I couldn't get rid of them and they'd made me cry and made me very uncomfortable. And I was very restless and hot and couldn't get comfortable. And my only respite was really to sleep. If I could get to sleep, I could make it through. But when I was in junior high and these headaches were somewhat more apparent because I was going to the school nurse and, you know, needing to either lie down or go home because of the severity of these headaches. And I, I would attribute some of that to increased, increased, increased stress um, in getting to know myself, starting to understand, you know, my, my budding puberty and understanding that I was, you know, attracted to boys and not girls. And, you know, that just compounded the issue for me and still having no real role model to what to do with that. I felt like a good person. I felt like I was nice and that I was a decent person, but in you know, the eyes of my religion, I was a sinner, whether I acted or not. So I ended up at a, at a psychologist office and he, after asking, you know, quite a few questions, really, um, he, you know, his, his remedy was that he was going to teach me what he called self-hypnosis. But in reality, he made a cassette tape, a recording of that session and sent me home with that cassette tape of him guiding me through a couple different scenarios. And with the intention that I could engage in these self-hypnosis practices when I was having a headache and then it could help me to relieve that pain and discomfort. And it, it helped calm me. I will say that I, if you can picture, you know, I'd, I'm very light sensitive when I have a headache and very sound sensitive. Um, The television or radio or things like that seem really, really loud and shrill and light is just piercing and um, it all makes me very, very nauseous. And so I would, you know, close myself into my room as good as possible with, you know, three siblings and two parents and dogs and all of that running around. But I would go lay down on my bed and I had a, a little portable cassette player 
that I would put this cassette into and put it, you know, close to my head and put usually a cool rag across my eyes and listen to this doctor guide me through these scenarios. And what often would happen would be that I would relax enough that I would fall asleep and sleep through most of the headache. So I did that for a long time and then I wore out the cassette and it was <laughs> sounded, you know, like, um, like a David Lynch film <laughs> on this cassette. So I would, um, I just started kind of running through what I had memorized from the cassettes and allowing myself just to kind of do the path. And it worked for a while um, as well as could be. It never really um, got rid of the pain, but allowed me to sort of sit next to the pain. And I did at one point start questioning what pain was and the suffering that accompanied the pain. And it felt like maybe those two things were separate. And to think, you know, I was a, a young adult, if that, you know, maybe, maybe 15, maybe 16 years old and contemplating some, you know, what seemed like big thoughts about what was, was happening. And so, you know, over time, I found meditation and, and with the, with uh, the invention of CDs, <laughs> I'm dating myself a little bit, but with the invention of CDs, then I found some guided meditations that were really interesting and specifically ones that had um, sounds behind them. I really sort of discovered um, through, you know, the idea of sort of subliminal messages or subliminal sounds or um, theta wave type sounds in the background that were to help calm you. And I, I did find that um, a really um, powerful escape, you know, throw on some headphones and drowned out some of the things that were, you know, just loud or um, annoying. <laughs> so, from there, I started finding some spiritual guided meditations that, you know, used more familiar words of God and, you know, spirit and um, ultimate, some of those things. So I was, uh, I was somewhat open. I was a little resistant to hearing the term God. Um, and I chewed on that for a long time. I think I had a lot of resentment and a lot of anger when it came to the subject of a God. And by God, I kind of mean the 
the guy in the cloud, <laughs> the, the guy who lives in the clouds and controls everything and grants everything. And I didn't feel heard by that God. I didn't feel served by that God. I felt punished by that God. And that was a source of, of real anguish for me and continual suffering and self-judgment. So I think I, you know, I, I certainly had a few years where I was, I was really exploring new age teachers. Um, I spent a lot of time listening to Esther Hicks, um, Jerry and Esther Hicks. And after Jerry died, Esther Hicks, which took me to Wayne Dyer and um, even uh, Deepak Chopra and, and some. And I found a lot of value in their teachings and their, their meditation and calming efforts. I found a lot there, but not everything that I was looking for or needed. So in 2009, I was working for a company that had me um, living in rural Wisconsin. Um, I was in a, a, a relationship um, Basically, I'll call it the 10th year of a relationship that was good sometimes and terrible sometimes and okay sometimes. And it's probably like a lot of relationships. Um, but my partner lived, you know, here. I live in Kansas City now, um, but he lived here and I had a second um home in Wisconsin where I was working and had traveled for many years and he had traveled also for many years, which I think, you know, sustained our, uh, our okayness in our relationship. And then, you know, taking the position that I was living there, I felt like a lot of things were um, knocking at my door that I needed to address. And, you know, part of it was re the relationship. Part of it was the career path that I was on that was just exhausting. Um, and in fall of 2009, I'll call it right around Thanksgiving or somewhere around there, September, October, November of that year, everything just sort of exploded on me. Um, I, I ended the relationship, which was really pretty abrupt. And then, um, I got fired. I got fired from the job that I had been uh, doing and doing really well. <laughs> um, and Part of the reason behind that was my sexuality and it was being used against me by an employee. Um, 
And I mean, that's really all I can say or care to say about that. But so the relationship ended, the job ended, and I was sort of left floating, like, what do I do now? And I was open at that point thinking, ah, this is just, this is the universe clearing the path for me to have a new thing. I'm going to get a new job and I'm going to get a new relationship or whatever. And that's really not what happened. I struggled to find um, work. I struggled to find meaningful relationships. I, I did date several guys that were younger than me, and that was probably part of the problem. Um, and the, the interesting thing is I was dating one gentleman, and he's a great guy, just a teddy bear, of, you know, and just so generous and giving. And he was really very emotional. Um, and I felt something stir in me that was sort of fatherly, that I was trying to help him not suffer and struggle so much with just daily life. And I can't remember exactly how I, how I heard about this meditation group um, that, was, that met twice a day at this uh, unity church in um, sort of midtown Kansas City. And I made a suggestion to the young man that we go to um, try this out. Let's go try this meditation thing out. I had been meditating for years and I thought, well, maybe a guided, you know, group meditation would make a difference. And so we went and it was really, it was really profound. I had not really sat in a group meditation before in my entire life. So that was really incredible for me. I I don't know. I don't know how um, he, I'm not going to mention names, but he, I, I won't, I, I won't extrapolate what, what he felt because I don't remember. Um, but I don't think he was all that um, into it. He was still very Catholic and um, I think, Still is, from what I understand. Um, he's a friend still, distant. Uh, but there was a mention after that meditation that there was a Buddhist service on Sunday and I should come. And I thought, oh, okay. What do I wear? What time is it? You know, just whatever. So I came. And the, the woman who, was, was, who led that meditation and who uh, was leading that Buddhist group is Janet, Janet Nima Taylor. I think she goes just by Nima Taylor now. Um, and she was a 
you know, a longtime friend and um, we're not really in communication now, but um, she really introduced um, quite quickly and in a very approachable way, these Buddhist concepts in a, in a, I'll say in a, a in a general way. Um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't hard nose anything. It wasn't Zen. It wasn't, um, she, she was a long time or is a long time Zochen student of uh, Lama Surya Das as well. And she introduced me to him and that just opened up um, an entire encyclopedia for me of opportunities to practice and the depth of practice. And so that led me to actually working for Lama Surya Das and um, helping run his retreats and um, help run his organization for a number of years and meeting and practicing with some of his senior students who are still my dear friends and family. So for me, it just unfolded accidentally. And I know that everyone arrives here to Buddha land <laughs> to the exploration or quest or, or whatever it is, we all arrive here on different, with a different um, set of needs, maybe similar um, for me, you know, the migraines and depression and anxiety and, you know, my world had blown up and things were not going well, and I was both anxious and depressed and to extreme levels. And I was able to find some stability through these practices. So I think we're all looking for the opportunity for that stability. Of course, it could be in different ways, and we all are our own worst critics. So inside, I believe that we are all feeling like we are not enough and that we need fixed and that it's our biggest secret that we're all so screwed up that we're even unlovable. Or if people really knew what we thought about or how we felt or how unstable we all can be, that we would be either shunned or divorced or alone, or maybe you are alone and you feel like that's the reason. So 
we all get here with our own checklist of what we need and what we're trying to find. And it's funny, I think everyone that, that I know who has proceeded for a while on this path sort of loses the original set of beliefs that we started out with. For me, I certainly have really considered that that journey of feeling like not enough, feeling like I was judged and judging myself and really hard on myself to a different awareness and a different understanding. It took me a while actually to understand the very tenets of Buddhism. And it's, it's funny to, to travel a Dzogchen path is maybe a little not traditional. I mean, not really traditional. So when I when I read the Four Noble Truths for the first time and the second time and the third time, I really didn't understand what it was talking about that suffering exists. Of course, suffering exists. My life sucks, right? Suffering exists. There's a cause for that. Well, yeah, my mom, my dad, (laughs) my childhood is the cause of suffering. I laugh about that now because I really thought it was other people. Um, And that there's a cure for that suffering and that cure is, you know, to, walk this path. Well, that sounded a little bit like a sales pitch to me. And it felt like a sales pitch to, you know, subscribe to Buddhism now and you will, you will understand and have the benefits of enlightenment instantly. Well, that's not the way it works and that's not what it means. (laughs) And the, you know, the Eightfold Path didn't seem really approachable. It wasn't really until I started uh, teaching. And I, I do believe, I have a, a strong belief that a teacher needs a teacher. So in my endeavor um, there, you know, I had several teachers. But, you know, I heard, heard some strong opinions about... Um, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and, and what that meant. And I, I still strongly believe that the, the quintessential piece, the keyhole, if you will, the doorknob, the door to the Eightfold Path is the wise, right, complete, view and understanding of what this reality is. 
that's a, a really big piece. And as I picked apart that teaching and that understanding, you know, it's my understanding of consciousness and awareness and our ineffable and relative existences that really started to unfold for me. And I talk a lot about that state of natural consciousness that is unaffected by thoughts, feelings, sensations, and emotions. And I literally, when I sit in meditation, I just back into that space. I visualize backing in and like backing into a cave and sitting with no nowhere else to go. There's nothing further back. I'm as far as I can go. And then the view out from there, I can see thoughts, feelings, emotions, and sensations arising from my human existence and not from that pristine place of consciousness. I also don't believe that consciousness just belongs to me. It's not my consciousness. I have access to that consciousness through my awareness, which is a, a big understanding. You know, because I am a sentient being, I have access to thoughts, feelings, sensations, and emotions through my awareness. So we have the conscious side and we have the unconscious side. We can have these continuous responses to stimulus that are unconscious and just drag us around. When we have a reaction to say an, you know, an unpleasant thought or an unpleasant emotion or feeling, we get drugged down a path, dragged until we're just exhausted and we still hang on. We still hang on. I, I really like the reminder of that uh, Zen teaching that says, let go or get dragged. Oh, of course. Getting dragged by something, let go of it. Let it do its thing and I can be relieved of that suffering. But first I have to understand that I'm being dragged. So when I look back to the Four Noble Truths, I have an understanding now. I have to understand that there's suffering. I am being dragged. There's a cause for that suffering, and that cause is that I am attached to the outcome. I'm attached to the control or the need to control, and therefore I'm unwittingly being dragged by this thing that wants me to be attached to it. So I also have to understand that the medicine for that 
is the release of my grip on that attachment. And from that seat that I keep talking about, you know, in my visualization in my little cave, my little safe cave, that I can sit on that space and see those reactions happening. And I can detach from them enough to understand that they are not me. I am not my feelings. I am not my sensations, thoughts, or emotions. I'm experiencing them. And they're often causing distress, dissatisfaction, and states of suffering. And I know that my work is continually to let go and just let be. Let go of my grip, trying to control it, trying to understand it, trying to even label it. Instead, I can just sit on that place of consciousness. And I'm aware, if I haven't said it before, I'm aware of that consciousness through my ability to be aware. So I'm cultivating awareness when I sit, practicing how to be aware. And it's as simple as just focusing on the present moment, which I've also done a lot of uh, contemplating on what a moment is. And I understand that this vast moment is not a mark in time. It's not a second that moves past. It's everything. It's all things are present memories included, thoughts, emotions, reactions included in this present moment. Everything that's happening is happening in this present moment. It's not in the future. It's not in the past. And there's really no such thing as time other than right now. Unless it's a a memory or a plan. And those are still happening in this present moment. So you're not getting away from the present moment. I say all this as a hope that I can maybe peel away some of the layers and maybe some of the confusing aspects about what Buddhism is or isn't. I also like to remind myself that Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. Buddha was just a person like me looking for relief. You know, and the story goes that he was looking for relief and understanding of the conditions of sickness, old age, and death, much like me. So I hope that 
my conversation around these topics, and I know I say them a lot. <laughs> I know I say awakened awareness a lot and spontaneous nowness awareness. But it's really about making this about your personal experience because that's really what leads you to that enlightened state, that full understanding of who you are and what you are. In this whole mix, our ego keeps telling us that we're something separate, which feels very lonely and is completely untrue. And I say this, you know, from being a person who was very separate and very alone for a lot of my life thus far. It's not until the last 10 years that I've really understood that there was and is this interconnectedness that is inescapable. So for me to feel separate or feel alone is really just my ego telling me so. There's a lot of work to be done with these simple thoughts. It's important to continually practice. And I mean practice every day. I mean sit on a cushion and close your eyes if you need to slow down the stimulus. Sit in a quiet place if you need to slow down the stimulus. And just sit with that stillness. We don't get that opportunity much. We're usually sitting in my hell realm, which is chaos. <laughs> I'm quite an introvert and I like quiet. I like stillness. I like those nights where you can just hear crickets and a breeze and my dog snoring. <laughs> and I can sit and read and just be cool. But that's not most of our experience. Even my husband is obsessed with television. So as soon as he's got the day off or the evening off, it's one show after the next, after the next, and it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I can, I can deal with it now, but I also understand the need for distraction. And we all have a bit of that need for distraction. So it's not beyond me and I don't really judge it. I see it as a need to distract from what is uncomfortable. The more that we work with that discomfort 
and include the understanding of that discomfort, the more we can be liberated from it. So for me, that's been my path. Started out with migraines, moved to a desperate attempt to find stabilization in my turbulent life, and it progressed to anxiety and depression, which may very well have been the cause of my migraine experience all along. My understanding of this moment and the entirety and the expansiveness of this moment to include my entire existence, our entire existence, and the universe's entire existence happening right now, right here. We don't have any time to waste to begin understanding what causes our suffering and how to relieve it. So show up. You're the only one to do it. We can all band together on this path, supporting each other with understanding and compassion and sharing our wisdom. But it's you who must do the real work. And folks, it's so simple. It's so simple to turn our minds and hearts toward this Dharma, toward this teaching, and fully understand what it is. It's so simple, but can be so tough. It's tough because we're including our understanding of our discomfort. And not so much the story that got us to the place of despair in our lives, but instead the understanding of our human condition, which we all share. So cultivate that loving kindness toward yourself every single day. The real test is when you see people in your sphere that you don't like and that piss you off. You know, turn on, turn on your television and watch the news. And I'm sure you'll find someone who will piss you off <laughs> or get under your skin. And that my friend is a reflection that you yourself have not found that compassion and loving kindness for yourself. And I don't mean that as a criticism or a judgment. I mean that as a reality check. That is where you must put your work. Cultivate that wisdom, cultivate that understanding, and that compassion for yourself. And when you successfully do that, you will look at all other humans with an understanding that is immeasurable. And it's possible. That's our awakened Buddha nature. 
Friends, thank you so much for tuning in. I know it's a little different without without Danny on the on the call today or on the podcast today, but he'll be back and we'll talk about more things and have a few laughs and we see you. We appreciate you. If you haven't checked out the Backyard Buddhist podcast website, it's backyardbuddhist.com. There's a little uh, store on there now too, and it includes my very first meditation CD. So there's digital download of um, my CD, which is Natural Awareness for Everyday Enlightenment. So check it out, and I'll see you soon. As Dan always says, don't forget, meditate as fast as you can. Bye now.